Medical Society that looks at some of the top issues affecting patients and the practice of medicine in Wisconsin. I'm your host, Peter Welch, and here with me today again is Rufus Sweeney. Hey, Rufus. Hey, good to be here. Rufus is a third-year medical student here at the University of Wisconsin, and he's been working with us to produce this podcast series. It came out of a course he developed uh, with the UW for fourth-year medical students and is sponsored through WISMEDISURE, our professional liability life and disability partner here at the Medical Society. So we've had three podcasts so far about whether or not to rent or buy a house, what kinds of, uh, what kinds of budgeting decisions we need to make or goals we need to set. Uh, today we're going to talk about different kinds of debt, or is what I'm calling uh, how not to get bamboozled. So, so let's talk. <laughs> let's talk about the different kind of um, debt that a that a resident, a physician, uh, is going to have to be aware of, and what are some of the major differences between those? First, their educational loan. That the vast majority of people are going to borrow from the federal government through um, Sally Mae. They're going to borrow through a few different mechanisms. Most people are going to use what's called grad plus loans. So they've already been through the undergraduate sort of loan world, so they may be coming into med school with some some debt burden or not uh, yes. already from the federal student loan programs. Yes. So the category of educational loans is pretty uniform. There are other kinds of debt that you can get into that are a lot more variable and a lot more scary, honestly. Most students don't have to worry about payday loans. Like, mm-hmm. They're not going to, to payday loan places. For people who have, there are resources available. I wish I would have come more prepared with resources for people who have gone through payday loans to help you get out of that situation. Mm-hmm. But they are like egregiously predatory mm-hmm. and um, should be avoided at all costs. Then there's a slightly less egregious, but I think more widespread and pretty problematic is credit cards. Mm-hmm. Right? Credit cards are uh, a really easy way to give yourself instant gratification and capital, but then their their payments on the backside are super high interest. What's a typical range that, you know, typical consumer credit card would have? Yeah, so like between 10 and 25%. The or median interest rate is about 20%. I did the math on this. Yeah, could we break it down into like, a, if you had a thousand bucks on a credit card, you know, what does that actually mean yeah, for, so, for your payment? Let's talk about like even a, a, a much smaller amount. So $10, $10 you buy a couple of cups of coffee, right? You have um, that one purchase that you make with a credit card with a 20% interest rate. This is excluding any fees that they might charge. Over 10 years, you decide you to put that away or you, you accidentally uh, forget that you have a credit card pay purchase that you made for $10. So after 10 years, it becomes $73, which is um, quite a bit, but that's excluding any fees that you get. So the fees usually get charged monthly, and so you can, you can end up accumulating five to 10x what you spend. Not only does it hurt you purely financially, but it also hurts you with your um, with your credit score, which ends up becoming really important, not only for loans, but for if you want to get a good insurance rate. It turns out insurance providers will access your credit history, mm-hmm. and that tells them better than any other metric how reliable you'll be as an insured person. Well, I just wanted to maybe put some context in for you know the, the medical school environment. A typical medical student, are they working? While they're going to medical school, mm-hmm. yeah. So they're getting these the student loans, and they're using those as living expenses in addition to paying for tuition. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, how does that affect sort of that that uh, dynamic of getting credit cards and having access to capital and spending down that that student loan living money? You know, how do you balance that as a medical student when you have 
your cash flow in is a big check from the federal government once a year, once a semester. Yeah. You know, what's that dynamic like as a student? It's tough. There's a lot of students who can't make it work uh, with their budget. And so um, rather than accessing um, capital through credit cards, it's really it's a great investment of time and energy to go into your financial aid officer, whoever that is, and um, expand your living expense, your, your cost of attendance, mm-hmm. right? So you can, there are uh, mechanisms that you can use to expand that number and have access to more student loans. Um, I don't recommend it, obviously, because it's best to try and stay within the, the recommended cost of attendance. We take out enough loans as it is. But should you need to expand your budget, it's much, much, it's preferable to credit cards. So the recommended so, cost of attendance does include an assumed living expense mm-hmm. as well? Right. And often, I mean, I'm the first to admit it, it's, it's woefully under mm-hmm. underestimated uh, in some cases. But for the average student, it usually gets pretty close to, to right on what you need, but there's not much room. There's not much, not much wiggle room. So if you need that trip back home, if you need to pay for a flight, that's when it gets really hard. That's when those those like fine line nuanced distinctions need to be made. Mm-hmm. Yes, a credit card can be an okay thing to bridge the gap for like a, a very temporary need. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe an emergency or something Or an like emergency, that. yeah, but, mm-hmm. the, but by and large, it's just, it's better to stick with what you get from, uh, from student loans. And typically the interest for so a you know, med student loan, what are they looking at for for the insurance or the uh, interest rate there? That actually fluctuates with time. Right? Most recently, it's, it's down to 6.2% for federal loans. Mm-hmm. With the new int- uh, federal rate cut, it could change this next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think they've just cut it by a significant amount, 40 50%. So it could be down to like 5.5%, 5.6%. I can see that being reasonable. That's typical for your student loans. Let's put that in perspective. 56 to 6.2% interest rate. That stacked up against a Roth IRA, right? Because it's a game of percentages. That mm-hmm. stacked up against a Roth IRA in residency becomes a lot more difficult of a decision. That's why people are playing this game of, do I invest during residency? Like, where do I triage my money if I have extra money left over? Talk more about that. So why is it hard to make that decision? What's so attractive about a Roth IRA? Yeah, so a Roth IRA is an after-tax contribution that you can make to your retirement account. You know, over the last 100 years, it's performed on average at about 7% mm-hmm. after fees and after all the other associated costs. So you have that decision like, do I believe that that's going to continue? Do I believe that that historical trend will continue? Nobody really knows. Um, and so you can take that guaranteed 6.2% that you get if you pay off your loans, or you can take the risk of, you know, you can get that extra 0.8%, which is not trivial. And go for investing. This is the age-old debate. I don't know what I'm going to do. A lot of people split the baby. A lot of people pay some toward mm-hmm. loans and some toward toward investing. Um, I don't think that's a bad strategy. But Are there protections around student loans and grad plus loans and whatnot that, um, that make it sort of safer to just pay that minimum? Or is student debt the same as sort of uh, debt from a bank? If I'm going to go to a private, mm-hmm. private bank to get my student loans rather than the federal government, why would I one versus the other the the advantage of getting a student loan or, get, or you know paying the minimum for that is that you you do have the what's called the, the death benefit which is if you should, should you blast off early uh, before paying that debt off <laughs> then you you have um, it, it's forgiven that debt's forgiven that's that's one advantage of getting choosing the federal route another advantage is that you are eligible for government 
programs like public service loan forgiveness, which we'll talk about, mm-hmm. um, income-driven repayment, which we'll talk about. It's really not an obvious choice when you break it down. Like, do I pay off my debt or do I pay the minimum? Um, do I start investing? Do I not? I mean, it's, 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 it can be, there can be a lot of different variables. A lot of it comes down to like what we talked about in prior episodes where it is your own priority. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it is, you just hate that debt hate looking at you. You hate, yes. you hate it staring at you. It has, it has a <laughs> comma in it and you don't like that comma. Uh, yep. tell, let's talk briefly about before we finish up, you know, that transition from student to resident and then resident to attending you know, there are some mechanisms that the federal government has in place for forbearance and deferment. And how does that work when you move from being a full-time student to a resident, uh, where is your loans are concerned? I guess there's a couple of questions baked into that. Mm -hmm. So deferment and and forbearance are are slightly different. The main difference between the two is that with deferment, a student may not be responsible for paying the interest that accrues during the time that you're in deferment. With forbearance, even if the loan is subsidized, you still have to pay the, the caveat is that when the medical students graduate from medical school, the vast majority of their debt is from medical school, mm-hmm. not from undergrad. And medical school loans aren't eligible for subsidized loans. They're all unsubsidized. And mm-hmm. so it really doesn't make that much functional difference if you, get, if you go into deferment versus forbearance. Both are terrible things to do. Terrible ideas. <laughs> <laughs> because if you do that, then you're not paying anything toward the interest. And there mm-hmm. are way better options out there than, than deferment and forbearance that at least give you a, a fighting chance against your interest. So what are some of those um, what are some of those strategies? So we'll talk about those a little later. In, mm-hmm. Income driven repayment including repay and pay are really good options. Refinancing is a really good option. Are there any resources that you would point um, point students to, point uh, residents to where they can learn more about, about how to manage all these different loans? These are some big decisions to make. Where yeah. should they go? Um, the first place I would go is if you're a medical student, go to your financial aid officer. They're really well trained in this stuff, much better than I am. Um, at UW, uh, Emma Crawford is quite good. I'm not sure who the person is at MCW, to be honest. We can put those in the show notes uh, yeah. for this podcast episode. That'd yeah. be great. Um, and then the second place I would go is um, the White Coat Investor has a lot of resources about this, about paying down student debt. That's the place I would, I would recommend first. He's really good at attacking this, this issue. Great. Well, our next episode will be all about loan basics and compound interest. So thanks, Rufus, for this episode, and we'll be back soon. Uh, that'll wrap up this episode of WISMED on Call. If you like what you heard, please visit our website at www.wismed.org and look for future episodes wherever you get your podcast.